0: failure is like the three meals per day. And especially for what we do is more innovative and challenging. So a lot of times when we come up with a concept and idea, we don't know how to build it.
1: Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. I really love that quote from my guest today, failure is three meals a day. I've seen a bunch of tech entrepreneur startup types talk about how they embrace the idea of failure. But it never really sounded genuine to me until I heard this phrase coming out of the lips of my guest today, Gina Lee. Now, what can I say about Gina? Let's put it this way. There aren't many people who I would allow to talk about their background for five minutes straight on this podcast, but it was impossible to interrupt Gina as she tells her story from growing up on the Silk Road to getting into hip hop dancing to finally stumbling into the world of product design. If Gina defines her life as failure, served up like three meals a day, then please, I'll have what she's having. In our discussion, we talk about the essence of product design and how it's allowing China to rediscover its roots as a world leader in innovation. We also discuss two examples of the products that Gina's company, Beach IoT, has reimagined. One of them is the digital telescope and the other one is, of course, the cotton candy machine. There, you knew I was going to say that, didn't you? In fact, even as I did say it, I know how strange it will sound for some people to hear the words cotton candy spoken with a British accent. Uh, To everyone who doesn't know, in the UK we call it candy floss. So let me start today's podcast with an apology to all British listeners. I'm sorry, I was too polite and I did not stand up for the dignity of British candy floss. I promise I've been punishing myself ever since this recording. I'm here with Gina Lee. Hi, Oscar. Hi, Gina. And Gina, you are the CEO of Beach IoT, right? Yes. So very quickly, what is Beach IoT?
0: Beach IoT as a company does like smart uh, solutions for hardware and software combined to build like smart business, which we can go through later.
1: Okay. And the first question would be, what object did you bring?
0: All right. So this object I brought usually. They are like the twins, always goes together. So this is a journey notebook. This is a book. Actually, so wherever I go, it doesn't matter. It's like a pocket size or a big size. I always have either a book with me or notebook. Usually they're together because reading and writing is something actually as a companion with me. So because I don't usually uh, do things with friends, I enjoy time more by myself. Most of the time, outside work, I'm alone. So I read, I write, I record the things I'm thinking in my mind. I'm like making conversation with myself throughout those things. And I think writing down what I'm thinking every day as a diary, I won't call it a diary because it's not daily, but I do like constantly recording what I'm thinking. Mm, Almost 20 years, I would say. Wow! Yeah, I kept that habit very well
1: So how many of those books do you have now piled up?
0: I have a couple at my hometown And in Shanghai now I have like more than 10, I think Mm. I didn't really count of them Some of them already like buried in a suitcase somewhere else That's from 15 years ago, you know, when you're just 20 I just don't have the courage to read it yet Yeah,
1: Uh and you said your hometown So where, where is hometown for you?
0: I uh, I was born in the northwest of China, which you call the Silk Road, and it's Gansu province. So actually it's the city right at the middle of the Silk Road.
1: And so what was the story that brought you from Gansu all the way to Shanghai?
0: Yes, I was kind of, I would say, all the best students in my hometown. I'm always be the ones, you know, people really hate that. I always know everything. I'm always <laughs> the smartest. And then, yes, through that, I get a chance almost to go to any school I want and I choose the Shanghai Financial and Economic Un- University. So the reason is actually quite like straightforward because there is a report on the average income of the bachelor degree graduations in China, and my school, has always been the top one because of course people working for financial industry they get paid a lot. So I kind of uh, give up on the chance to going to be a scientific and really smart person but choose the 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 school that could get paid well. So I got to the school, I thought I will be, you know, the fabulous lady, the 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 white collars going to the tall buildings, the high heels, then I realized and not really like that. And I started to think about something else to do at school. So I started to gather the community of dancing and the hip-hop. Like, surprisingly, I started to get into the underground culture. And after I graduated, I had the a long negotiation with my parents. So I become a professional dancer for a couple of years, which I'm uh, very lucky because back to then it wasn't that popular, so I get to the top level. So I was actually working in the entertainment industry for a little bit of time until I feel like maybe that's the time to change. Then I decide to pick up the major I started in the school. So I want to do some financial jobs as a consultant, of forest trading and gold, that type of thing. And surprisingly, not surprisingly, not even two years, it has proved to me no, it doesn't work for me. And then I started looking for a job. I wanted to do marketing and the branding. I worked for some government company, and then I worked for some agent until I decided to establish my own uh, agent, like as marketing event, a production company, like s- eight years ago, and then. After a couple of cases and seeing something failure, I want to do something, I think back in my head, I always want to do is build something on myself. And then I met my partner in Thailand. So we actually met each other just because we're staying in the same result, the same bungalow. And then... Uh, I was having breakfast while these guys just get into like vegetarian, healthy eating, like a self, how to say, detoxing. And I was just I'm overseas. This is cheap. This is amazing. So I had like four or five dishes. So we're sitting like, how we're sitting now is on the table. I'm just eating like, it's kind of vacuumed the food in my mouth. And while he just like scope by scope and watching me finish, he was like, wow, impressive. I was like, thank you. And then he was like, you speak English. I said, yeah. And then he actually is an uh, um, Asian face because his grandparents are like Chinese too. So we're like, we don't know each other. We did, we were not sure whether we speak English. Then we start getting into conversation, and then because his background is product designer and also from, uh, for someone that has worked in Germany for 10 years. So he's like insight on the product building, also how he sees the Chinese like product industry. It gives me a lot of um, inspiration. Also, it's kind of a hurt when some of the really critical points he highlight, like for example, he was saying back in the old days, China was the best of a building stuff in the world everyone was talking about all the silk, all the like China, ceramic, everything we do was the best of the world for building. And then like, for example, there are some things each country is still proud of that they still kept. Like Italian, they still kept the old ways of building a lot of food, wine, vinegar even, and the French too. But so pity that we don't kept anything anymore as the proud of ourselves, even though there's still some really great people still doing that. But that's not how we've been showing to the world. And we're not famous as building the fantastic stuff anymore. He, He just asked me a question. What has happened? And I was just like stumbled there. Like I asked myself, yeah, exactly. What has happened? Might as well just pick up from this point and do something. Then people will not just focus on what has happened. You're not good anymore. But actually, everyone can look at, it doesn't matter. You will be good again. So that's where the point I start to share my kind of like potential feeling on what I want to do. I told him as an agent of doing marketing and branding, the biggest failure is you had all this vision and idea how to position the product and the business. And when you saw the actual product, you were like, that's not quite how it could be. Like, you feel bad about speaking and promoting that. So that's where back in my head, I want to build something. So first of all, of course, you're promoting something, you know it's a good quality, you want to qualify everything around that. But I wasn't a designer, I had nothing, like I don't know anything about product building. And it just happened to, I met him, then we started this company.
1: Right, and so, obviously you saw that in him with his product design experience and this this grand idea. What do you think he saw in you uh, at that breakfast?
0: Actually when he was saying let's start to do something together, he was being really arrogant. He just thought if I can speak good English, can help him do business in the easier way. So pretty much he just think I could be a translator and let's say an operations manager. Until like throughout the rest of the time in Thailand, sometimes he saw me like it's like 10 or 9 p.m. or sitting there chatting. I could just pull up my phone and start editing Excel on that if I have to. He said that is something make me feel make him feel like, oh, this this is something about this girl that he she gets things done, like without hesitation. So that's how simple it is. He wasn't even putting any expectation that I have an understanding of how this business should go. So it, it took times about how I'm learning, how I always give him ideas. And I think because that openness has opened up the opportunity. Actually, our business has turned from being the dominant lead of the whole thing and slowly pivot and transfer right now, I'm actually leading it.
1: Okay, so let's go back to um, the beach. So of course, now I'm thinking about the beach, that's why you called the company, the beach, right? Yes,
0: actually literally because it was um, founded on the beach, that's what we call the beach.
1: So in a nutshell then, tell me about what it is that you do.
0: When we first started the company was six years ago, that's where the product design was just like rising uh, in the Chinese industry, so people started to pay a little bit of attention on oh how product should be designed.
1: Before then, they were just distributing the stuff that was coming yes. from the outside of China.
0: Yes. So they were mainly doing the manufacturing and following the guidelines and just like produce, produce. I won't even call it a build, they're just producing and manufacturing. And then I think that was the time while Apple was dominating the whole product design and they promote the design so well. So everyone believed the good looking design can make a product so different. That's how I was believing too. But actually, by getting into this industry and by working with my partner, Andrew, and also people around him, I started to find out, design is actually not about looking, it's a science. It's like mixed knowledge science. How this should be designed, mixing with how the interaction people with it, like ergonomic and manufacturing, mechanic engineer, material, there are a lot of things behind that. So it's not that we sketch or draw a design, then give it to the factory, try to make it like manufactured. It sh- you should think the other way is why you want to build this product, how you want to use it, where you're going to sell it. It's actually orientated by the business model. Then that's where I think... I start to slowly pick up, oh, the design versus business model has like a clutch. When you connect with it, you realize a product is just a tangible object that showing all the business model, where the target audience, the philosophy of how you want to use and everything behind. So... We started from the design, and slowly, slowly, we started hiring engineers and people from the different part of the uh, product-related, like software engineer, electronic, mechanic, like uh, prototype engineers. So we started to build things on our own because I think when we do design, that's where I have the big respect for my colleagues. They don't only think about how does it look and what material they want to apply. Always, they first ask, oh, so... Where are we going to sell it to? How is this going to be used? What do you want to achieve out of this product? So this is a, these are the questions usually we thought it's a business people would ask. But actually, no. Like, everyone has a business-oriented. My partner told me, designer is designer because it's business-oriented. Otherwise, we're artists. Like, yeah, that makes sense.
1: So then uh, thinking about that, then how do you decide what it is that you want to design as a company?
0: Like, for example, what we're doing right now is using the robotic technology, building a cotton candy machine. So like, it's completely opposite of the two sides, because cotton candy, what we think about is, it's a fun, puffy, like grandpa in the same park. But actually, you know, it takes a lot of Effort, energy, and consistency, and like, uh, like how to say, hygiene, cleaning. There's a lot of things behind that. So that is something it's like makes so much sense if it can be done by robotic arm. So we design a simple robotic arm that can be applied on the machine that is all the vending machine doing cotton candies by the customization. We actually designed in a way that by technology, the candies are from the top, not the bottom. So all the image combined give everyone a feeling like, wow, that's so cool. But the cool behind is how technology could apply with something fun. And what we did is we put all the sugars, all the mechanical part on top, and we designed the shape like a cloud and then we actually applied the name and called it cloud candy. So instead of sugar come from bottom shooting up, we're going from the top to down. So in that case, the sugar or the fluffy things doesn't fly all around. It makes it clean, easy to collect, and make the robotic arm is easier to move around to make different shape, yeah.
1: Right, different shapes. So you mentioned like personalized. How, how how many shapes can it can it make?
0: We currently right now has five shapes. And there's the flowers, there's a the heart, there's Christmas trees. there are like the egg shape, acorn. It's actually just by applying the movement. Interesting thing is actually when we first do that without making cotton candy so easy, right? You just spin and move around but there's no record about how you make cotton candy. It's all about feeling. It's like a muscle memory experience. So that has built the biggest challenge for us by oh, so how are we gonna tell a robotic arm by programming it to build a cotton candy? Because we don't know all the angles, or the mathematics. Then it actually requires our mechanical engineer. He is Canadian and he graduated from like master degree research on carbon fiber. He was just joking. I was mean to working for satellite industry. Now I'm making cotton candy in China. <laughs> so, so he has to learn for like weeks to become the master of a cotton candy. Then he he actually needs to manually by moving the, can, uh, the robotic arm and to record and understand how does it work and then report it back. So it's just a simple thing like that. This is how I want to say that like, technology can never run on its own. It can do something, make it exciting, but the real connection is how we understand something we cannot even extract exactly but how we can connect that with a, like robotic technology and build something to help us make a better experience.
1: Okay, well there you go. You have your first advert now on this podcast. Thank you. I want to ask you about another example of a success. But maybe before I do, like, has there been any notable failures, like, or any things that have been like a surprise or a challenge that you weren't expecting?
0: Failure is like the three meals per day, and especially for what we do is more innovative and challenging for the traditional way of building the product. So a lot of times, when we come up with a concept and idea, we don't know how to build it. And uh, we got a challenge from a client, if you don't know how to build it, how can you make it work? I said, that is how we have the multi-skill like skill set of people sitting together to figure out how to build it. So one of the examples is actually One of the, I think it's my favorite product so far. It took the longest time and has involved with the most failure and its most difficulty. So actually two, a year and a half ago, we launched a, a digital telescope in, in CES Las Vegas. We actually brought it to the, the Las Vegas. So we spent like years and we figured out how the experience should be. we build the app, we try to get an algorithm. But actually the, the biggest failure, or let's say the most frustrating thing about this thing is actually the optics. You know, the funny thing about this, the optics of telescope hasn't been changed for 100 years. That's how was this invented. That's just like pure optics with lens. And then by larger of the telescope, you need more precise of the, how to say, the manufacturing uh, process. And the filler percentage is way higher than we can think of. And because of the innovative way of control the, the focus point and optic image, we actually redesigned the whole optics. And just by achieve that and getting an image, getting everything sharp and we can look as like the object as how we expected took our like more than a year. But, yeah, glad after so many years, and now we're actually in the production line, and we're actually delivering the first product into the uh uh Australia and North America by end of this year, and then the goal is like you put it in, in the backyard, you don't need to suffer for the cold weather. you sit by the the couch and you can actually mirroring all the image on the t v and by just searching and it starts alive uh, so. That's wow, it.
1: you don't really think that you need it until you hear about it. It's one of those products. Like, actually, yeah, I can imagine, like, with my nephew pointing at the star and right. then, uh, saying, oh, "I've got no idea." Uncle Oscar is an idiot, but now I can fake it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess your example is is also just another great way that you know you see China as a whole moving up the value chain. You know, yeah. I think people outside of China still think it mainly as a manufacturing base, but mm-hmm. you know. With with the capability of inventing things and also harnessing that network when it comes to distribution within China, I think that's just a killer combination what you've got there.
0: Yeah. And also, I think with current, like the the future technology, let's say it's already on the fastest speed train. We need to get on the train. We need to get used to the speed. We need to adapt to what is going to happen. And then by doing that, everyone needs some insights. And the great thing about the Chinese technology product and how we're rising up the trend is we can actually provide a lot of insight and case and demo in a different way because they're so self-responsible for technologies. They adapt it so well. So I'm always hoping that just by the technology itself, let's maybe despite all the other fact, that is something pushing the, the human society forward. That's just part of science, how it works. Yeah, so that's why I'm loving of what I'm doing. Great.
1: And if we get nice acorn-shaped cotton candy out of it, yeah. then everyone's happy. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Gina.
0: Thank you for your time, too.
1: We're now going to move on to part two, which are the 10 questions.
0: Okay. Oh, the fast ones.
1: Yes. Are you ready?
0: Yes, let's do it.
1: <laughs> Question one. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite China-related fact?
0: Uh, China is always good at surviving. Okay. Yeah, because among the history, we have a long history, 5,000 years, the change in wars, everything. But I think the Chinese do deeply inside knowing it doesn't matter how horrible it's happening, whatever change is out there, the best way to adapt it is to keep yourself like, alive, survive first, and then you figure it out later.
1: <laughs> so, do you have a favorite uh, word, like a new word or a phrase that you like to teach foreigners in Chinese?
0: I would say, uh, I. S- I think that's the only thing I never found how to present in English. Like, if you can teach me, that would be perfect. Oh, it's called 辛苦了. Oh, 辛苦了, okay. I never found really, like, in which part you can present. Because that's a phrase that is nothing about the result, nothing about anything you do, the purpose. It's just about the effort and the time you put in. And it's just so... It's including so much of the, like, caring and love. It's, like, relieving. And sometimes people just say 辛苦了,加油. And that's, like, a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And I never find an English word can replace that.
1: I think I would probably translate it best as uh, good work. Good work. Good work today. Like, yeah. it's it's usually at the end of the day or at the end of at the end of a project, right? Okay. And it doesn't mean that necessarily it was success, but you're just acknowledging the other's effort is probably, yeah, good work.
0: What about when you experience the whole day is being failure the whole time?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been a tough day, but thanks for your work. I okay. would say. because right. yeah, that's that's the cool part of shinkula, right?
0: Yeah, you you can just apply into any if you, someone dedicated to doing something for a while, and doesn't matter they're happy, they're achieve something, mm. they're frustrated. You can always say shinkula, and it's full of power. Yeah, right
1: what is your favorite destination within
0: China my hometown for sure the, the 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 gobi desert with mountains and also because it has involved with so many histories um, from thousands of years ago we actually have the Han Dynasty like great water so it's actually 2,000 years ago but it was it wasn't built by stones it was actually just built by mud because it's so rare of the rain, and it's still there. Like It's just how little the rain every year, it drops on that, so it's just still there, it's out in the wild. You can actually just go visit without any problem buying tickets, no, you just drive and you go on the wild, you see what is left of there from 2,000 years ago. Wow,
1: yeah. and no crowds of tourists, or?
0: I think lately, <laughs> <laughs> it started to be a little bit crowded in certain seasons. People started to find out, oh, that's actually a great place. But not as I remember when I was young. It's just no one around.
1: Right. Yeah. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least?
0: Let's, let's take Shanghai as an example. We're actually afraid to do a lot of things here because people are so tolerant and they put up with different type of things. Even though they don't agree, maybe they don't do the same, but they won't just jump into your zone tell you not to do that. I think... That has become something, especially in big cities in China. It's a little bit cold, but also at the same time, it's more free. What I will miss the least is also related to this part: is the crowded packs of people. Like it do bothers me sometimes. It's um, I do feel people are not aware enough that have like a certain space. Leave it to other people. So I think that's it.
1: Is there anything that still surprises you about modern life in China?
0: Uh, how the old people can be adaptive to technology. That is surprising. Like my grandma, she's 88. She, have the, she has an iPhone XS Max. Oh, my God. <laughs> and she just wanted the largest screen. And she want to have WeChat. And she doesn't like to t- type. WeChat has the audio message and the stickers. Most important things, she can collect the red packet. So we have the family group that every day we just send some like, you know, 10 quiet or 5 quiet red packet. And she's happy. Like that just somehow is the simplest connection of everyone. And then I found out like a lot of people like me, if their grandparents live back in the hometown, they do the similar thing.
1: Where's your favorite place to go to eat or drink or hang out?
0: In Shanghai? Yeah. IPM a shopping mall based in the downtown of Shanghai. I think from third, fourth, fifth floor, there's a certain different bars or a coffee shop has terrace, and then also they has like supermarket and movie theater. So I just like to put myself in somewhere in the crowd but still a little bit quiet and has multi functions. So
1: very nice. Need- what is the best or the worst purchase that you've recently made in China?
0: Like I think the best to purchase is a headphone. Mm. It's like the, the Apple AirPod headphone, and uh, I keep telling people that it's such a simple thing, but actually saves a lot of people's life. It saved my life, that's it. It I saved your life. Yeah, because you know how many hours I have to talk on the phone, and if I have to hold the phones on my ear, I get cramp. I get cramp all the time. <laughs> so that's basically actually the most expensive purchase item for the last few years I did. Right. Yeah. I'm a uh, that type of person. <laughs> yeah.
1: What is your favorite WeChat
0: sticker? Oh. Okay. It's a, it's a Super Mario shaking his head as a super rock star. Like every time I look at it, I just wanna do the same. Awesome.
1: Yeah. And what in what context would you send this to someone?
0: It's like a sinkula. Ah, okay. Any contest. If I wanna cheer people up and then like bring back some energy, I just do that.
1: Very good. Yeah. Uh, what is your go-to song to sing at KTV?
0: I don't know if you know, there's a animation serial called Yang Yang. It's like happy sheeps everywhere. Oh, I have so, seen it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the song that every time I will sing it. <laughs> <laughs> is it easy? That sounds easy. Yeah, it's very easy. It's like a kid's song. It's like oh. a, there's a singing about the cabbage and then like a vegetables and carrots and everything. So I just love that lyrics. It's like I'm singing all the vegetables together because of machine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and finally, what other China-related media or sources of information do you use?
0: One is called 36cur. Uh, it's like a um, a technology app that they build content for specifically like people working in the high-tech industry. Another one called De Dao. It's like a podcast, but not only a pop text like speaking type. It's more like a reading book. So all the people who has program on that has very famous book that telling people of certain like philosophy of working or different type of knowledge and they just like record it by reading it. So for me sometimes is I when I bike to work, I listen to it and then like certain part because they have actually a PDF referred to that, I can just mark out as a note. So that's the two things I generally do as information resource.
1: Well, you've obviously got this natural curiosity, which just comes out. And the way that you absorb information, the way that you are, you know, voraciously reading and listening. uh, You know, to me, this is this is the reason why you are where you are, I think.
0: Thank you. Uh, Curiosity. Actually, the good thing is like a lot of people sometimes ask me is like, uh, do you consider yourself super smart or something for me it's just pure curiosity I just want to know mm-hmm.
1: well I should also say thank you to um, the team at IPWS um, oh yeah big thank you to Amanda um, and everyone at IPWS that's where you and I first met at yeah, their summit exactly yeah. um, I just saw you accept a, a, a prize there What what was the prize that you won
0: so it was the uh women leadership of the year as innovator of the year right so uh i think i was really excited to get the award and uh, i wasn't expecting it um i think last year i got uh i, I got a nominate as well but i didn't get to the final list so this year i got an email say i got again and i was in the final list i was like oh wow so that's for me, it's already achievement. I couldn't even wait for the summit. It was like, I'm just going to post it on my WeChat moment and it's that's it because I don't think I could ever get it until like I went to the jury process and talked to everyone and go to the summit. It was like, you know what? It's not about receiving the award. It's like all of you guys, like all the fantastic women, all the people who were talking. And then it reminds me like at some point instead of just being curious in books and things, I need to be more social. Mm. That is actually my personal goal right now is I need to pull myself out and actually talk to more to people because I actually like to talk. Mm. But sometimes when you have limited time and uh, attention, you just need to replan it. So I really appreciate the IPWS has the annual uh, the summit and the award, I get to know you, I get to know a lot of fantastic women. And we actually get connection very well with out, So it's like a, a life-turning event for me. Great. Yeah.
1: Thank you again. The last thing I'll ask you is if there was anyone else in China who you'd recommend that I interview next, who would it be?
0: Yeah, I would definitely recommend my boxing coach. Um, for me, he's the best boxing coach slash best friend slash best fitness coach and a great man and also best friend. He, we have been knowing each other for a very long time and throughout boxing, throughout things we do together, like, we share and learn a lot. And his name is Chris Xiong. He has won a lot of uh, the award as the best coach of the year, actually. Wow. Yeah.
1: And Sh- Xiong, is that the same as Bear, is it?
0: Yes. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Xiong is his family name. It's like a strong... You can tell how strong he is oh, yeah. from the name.
1: He was destined to be a boxer. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes. And his father is actually... I would say back to then was one of the best boxers and one of the best boxer promoter of China. He has been dedicated his life and passing all the skills to Chris as well. So I think that is a, a huge destiny like related to what he needs to do.
1: Well, thank you so much, Gina. It was no a pleasure. No
0: problem. Thank you. I enjoy it.
1: So here's a message for any Chinese parents listening. If your son or daughter tells you that they want to be a hip hop dancer, then just let them. Look how it turned out for Gina. One thing you also need to know about her, which didn't come up in our conversation, was that she taught herself English while living in Shanghai. I've heard this from other people too, but what's unique about Gina's method is that she only spoke with English speakers for a couple of months. In fact, she only looked at English language menus. And bit by bit, word by word, she brought herself up to this standard without ever leaving China. In fact, her trip to Thailand where she met her co-founder of Beach IoT was actually her first ever trip overseas. So next time you hear me moan about how difficult it is to learn Chinese in Shanghai, can you please remind me of this? On this subject, I translated "shin as good work, but I know it doesn't completely imbue the meaning of the phrase. So if anyone out there has a better suggestion for a translation, then please tell me. I forgot to explain what IPWS stands for. It's the International Professional Women's Society. All of the images are up on social media. Just go to Mosaic of China on Instagram or on Facebook. Or connect with me on Oscar10877 on WeChat, and I'll add you to the group there. This week, there is Gina and her objects. There's her favourite WeChat sticker, of course. Um, That's Super Mario rocking out. Uh, And there's also a photo of the cartoon character, Xi Yang Yang, if you're in China, you've definitely seen this character. Uh, the reason I was so excited to get this recommendation for a KTV song is because I need to learn easy songs in Mandarin. So this was a great one for me. It's all about fruit and vegetables. I can just about manage it. So watch out if you're going out for an evening of karaoke with me anytime soon. Gina's favorite place to visit uh, was her hometown. So Gina grew up in the city of Jinchang in Gansu province. And I have posted a photo of the Han Great Wall nearby. I learned from the internet that this was built between 200 BC and 200 AD. The parts of the wall that are usually visited by tourists as a day trip from Beijing are from between the 15th and 16th centuries, so it's a big contrast. If anyone listening has plans to go, then please tag me in a post so I can grind my teeth in jealousy. I love making connections between the episodes, and Gina's was no exception. She mentioned the restaurants with a terrace on the high floors of IAPM, the fancy schmancy mall. So that's three interviews in a row where there's a connection with terraces, as people's favourite places to hang out. This is karma, since I'm always moaning about how the weather in Shanghai is totally inappropriate for terraces. But I'm obviously in a minority of one on that one. The other obvious connection was with Eric, the China-Africa correspondent from Episode 3 of Season 1, since his object was also a notebook. But the nicest connection, for me at least, was with last week's episode with Jorge, who talked about burping. This is a great example of what Gina was talking about, how people in big cities in China overlook the bad behaviour of others, which affords the individual a lot of personal freedom. So I've been trying to use this as a mantra to improve my own terrible impatience. And for everyone else like me, please try doing it too. Don't try focusing on the bad behaviour of particular individuals, but pan out and allow yourself to see the equanimity of everyone else. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, editing by Milo Diplieto, artwork by Danny Newell, and China technical support from Alston Gong. I will see you next week.